Well, we're in this series, Parental Guidance Required. Today is going to be very practical. We're going to deal with discipline, how, how we discipline as parents our children. Now, I know that there are going to be many people here today who don't have children at home, children that are grown or out of the house, or maybe you're single, maybe you're not even planning on ever having children. I do believe everybody's going to get something out of today's message. And one of the things I was praying about yesterday, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit put this on my heart for our church this week, and is He wants to reveal to many people a, a picture of God that many of us don't really have. Uh, a lot of us, because of our personal experience, because of fathers that we had or mothers that we have, we have a warped or distur- distorted view of who God is. We look at God as this authoritarian waiting to catch us doing something wrong. God is a punisher. He wants to punish us for doing bad. There's nothing further from the truth. I want to show you a side of God, the discipline side of God, which when you understand, and we'll talk about it today, the difference between punishment and discipline, it'll change the way you view God. To understand that God disciplines, God doesn't punish. there's, There's a difference, and there's a big difference between the two. To start with, I want to read a letter that I found this week from a son that wrote uh, to his father. He said, Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and mom. I've been finding real passion with Stacy, and she is so nice. However, I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings, tattoos, and the tight motorcycle clothes that she wears. Also, she is so much older than I am. But it's not only the passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Stacy said that we will be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share the dream of having many more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with other people in the commune for all the cocaine and ecstasy we want. In the meantime, we'll pray that science will find a cure for AIDS so Stacy can get better. She sure deserves it, Dad. Now, don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure, we'll be back to visit so you can get to know your many, many grandchildren. Love your son. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Jason's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the school report card that's on the kitchen table. (laughs) Call when it's safe for me to come home. (laughs) I thought you would enjoy that one today. Well, today we're going to talk about discipline motivated by love. For discipline to be disciplined, the foundation of it has to be love. It has to be motivated by love. So the first point is discipline is correction. It's when we correct a child and it's driven by love. It's motivated by love. It is undergirded by love. The foundation of any type of discipline is love. Hebrews says it like this, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Or a parent disciplines the children that they love. A Lord disciplines those that he loves. So again, for those of you that don't have children, you're not in a season of parenting, I want to help you see a side of God. God disciplines those he loves. God doesn't punish people he's mad at. God disciplines those 
he loved. If it is not done in love, it is not discipline. In fact, if it's not done in love, it's punishment. Punishment is a reaction that typically is motivated out of anger for people that you really don't love. You just want to punish. That is not discipline. It's not what we're talking about today. Proverbs 19 verse 18 says, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Parents, understand this is not easy. We have a responsibility to discipline our children. And if we don't discipline our children, we will ruin their lives. The NIV translates this verse like this. Do not be a willing party to his or her death. Now, let me give you a practical for that one. That, that verse became very real to me a few years ago when my son was four years old. We were playing outside, and the way the cars were parked on our street, you couldn't see into the road. And we were playing with the ball, and the ball went rolling into the road, and my son began to run into the road. Now, at four years old, he couldn't see over the cars, and anybody driving couldn't see him. And there was a car coming very quickly down the road. And he starts running into the street after this ball, and I yell, Asher, stop! And thank God we created a culture of discipline in our home where he learned to obey my voice and he stopped. Because if he would have taken a couple more steps, the car would have hit him. And I know that's an extreme illustration, but the truth is if we didn't create a culture of discipline, if he hadn't learned how to obey my voice, I could have that day been a willing party to his death. You see, the goal of discipline is to teach obedience. And parents, you need to understand, there's a battle going on in your home right now. There's a battle going on for who's in charge, for who's in control, a war that's raging. And if you find yourself continually nagging, continually counting, one, two, this is the last time, yelling, threatening, you are losing the battle in your home. And, and I, I get it because a lot of us, we grew up in a generation with these authoritarian parents that we thought were unfair and we thought were mean. And so we made the decision that when we have children, we're going to do things the exact opposite of the way our parents did. Because I want my child to like me. I want them to be my friend. And so what we have today is we have people parenting out of reaction to their parents rather than principles found in God's word. And the truth is, if you're doing things the exact opposite of the way mom and dad did it, or if you're doing things exactly the same the way mom and dad did it, both are wrong. Because that should never be the motivation. The motivation is not to do it the opposite of the way they did it. The motivation is, what does God say? What are biblical principles? And if it happens to be the opposite, or if it happens to be the same, wonderful. But the motivation isn't a reaction to our parents. The motivation is what is best. What does is, what is God teach? That's the motivation. So I want you to remember discipline is motivated by love. Here, here's another point. Discipline isn't something that you do to your child. It's something you do for your child. We're not doing it to them. We're doing it for them. We're trying to help them. Zig Ziglar, the famous leadership coach, says it like this. A child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world, will be disciplined without love by the great big world. And there's nothing further from the truth. 
So let me help you understand, we as a church are against punishing a child. We, we, we are not for, and, and, and this could be a semantics thing for you, so don't get hung up in the semantics. I'll help you understand our definition of punishment, our definition of discipline. We are for biblical discipline. And so what is the difference between punishment and discipline? Let me give you a chart to kind of illustrate the differences between punishing a child and disciplining a child. When it comes to punishment, the purpose is to inflict a penalty for an offense. You're simply punishing them for an action. The purpose of discipline is to train them for maturity. You're training their future. You're teaching them that behavior like this is not acceptable. Actions like this is not acceptable. This is not going to be helpful for your future. The focus of punishment is on their past misdeeds. The focus of discipline is on future correct acts or future behavior. The attitude of punish, punishment is hostility and frustration. You want to vengeance, justice, you want to make it right. The attitude of discipline is love and concern. You're trying to guide their future, protect their future. The resulting emotion and the one being punished is fear, guilt, shame. Don't feel good enough. I've been punished because of who I am. The resulting emotion and discipline is security. They feel love. They feel safe. They feel secure. And I hope this, this helps reveal to you a little bit of God's heart for us as people. God is not a God that is punishing us. God is a God that disciplines us. Why? Because God cares about our future. I love the discipline of God. I love the fact that he loves me enough to, to help me understand if I continue in behavior like that, it's going to damage me. Like he, it's not going to damage him in heaven. It's going to damage me here on earth. And so God disciplines me because he loves me and he knows the behavior that is going to maximize my life. And so here's the, the third opening point I want to say. Discipline is to train their heart, not control their behavior. It's not about behavior modification. It's about inner heart transformation. And that's what Christianity is all about. God, God's not, you know, God didn't create a religion of a bunch of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. It's not about behavior modification. It's about inner heart transformation. That's why Jesus said, look, if you'll fall in love with me, you'll, you, you'll do all the commands. Like all the commands will, they'll be natural to you if you just love me. It's about your heart. You may get, you may have the ability to control their behavior for 18 years, but if you never train their heart, as soon as they leave home, they're going to run wild. That's why Proverbs, Solomon says, guard your heart, guard your heart above all else. Or parents, train the heart of your child, guard the heart of your child. Why? It determines the course of your life. It will determine the course of your children's life. So this is why we discipline more for attitude than actions. Their attitude is as important as their behavior. We want outward and inward obedience. Both matter. You don't want them obeying with a nasty attitude. You want to deal with a nasty attitude because their attitude matters. It, it, it's because it's, it's we're training their heart, not just controlling their behavior. Now, why do we have so many undisciplined children in the world today? Well, simply put, we have a lot of undisciplined parents. Parenting's tough. Parenting's hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, and I don't get it right. I'm, I'm actually doing this series more for me than anyone else because I need it. Because it, it takes consistency. It takes intentionality. It takes hard work to parent. Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul says, children, 
Always obey your parents after the fourth warning. Always obey your parents after they've yelled at you for an hour. Always obey your parents after they said, this is the last time I'm going to say it. No. Always obey your parents, period. For this pleases the Lord. What, what is this showing us? It shows us that we expect first-time obedience. First-time obedience. I said last week, one of the things we do when we count to our children, and I'm guilty of counting at times, you know, because you want to, you know, because really we count because we don't want to follow through with the threat on the first one. We want to give them every opportunity where we don't have to follow through with our threats. And so we say one, two, three. And really what we're doing is we're, is we're training disobedience. We're telling them disobey, disobey. All right, now obey. And that's, that's, that's what they're hearing from us when we do that. Why do we expect first-time obedience? Simply put, because God expects it from us. Think about it. God expects first-time obedience from you. And we're trying to create a biblical standard in our home. Because again, we're transferring our child's dependence away from us, not to independence, but we're transferring their dependence to be completely on God himself. And again, with a cheerful attitude. They may obey, but if the attitude is wrong, if you allow a child to obey with a bad attitude, you are creating long-term damage in the child. Because again, we're to train the heart, not just control the behavior. So something to understand is when a child disobeys, they are in sin. When a child disobeys, they are in sin, and you have to teach them biblically how to deal with sin in their life. Now, here's another one that may be a little bit more hard for you to accept and receive today. When a parent allows it, the parent is in sin. When a child disobeys, the child is in sin. But when a parent allows a child to disobey and does not correct the child, that parent is in sin. And first-time obedience is a challenge for a parent. Why? Because it requires consistency on our part and inconvenience at times. It's not always convenient to follow through with the threat. I think one of the problems is we're, we're, we're giving way too many threats, way too many commands. We need, to, we need to scale back the amount of commands and threats we're giving, but we need to follow through with the ones we do Give. So let me show you three types of undisciplined parents. If you find yourself in one of these categories, simply let Jesus deal with your heart and, and find a way out of it because we because this is serious business in the world that we live in. Let's just put it like that. Number one, we have lifeguard parents. Lifeguard parents. They're, they're parents who often rescue a child from consequences. Little Johnny gets in trouble and Supermom swoops in to save the day. So how do you know if you are a lifeguard parent? Well, if you have brought your child lunch to school because they forgot their lunch more than three times this semester, you are a lifeguard parent. And if your child is a sophomore in college, you are the worst type of lifeguard parent. <laughs> Let them go hungry. Why? We... we the problem is when we don't allow our children to face the consequences of their sin, of their behavior, of their actions, we're setting them up for failure. 
Here's what Paul says in Galatians. Do not be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You're going to harvest what you plant. And we've got to help our children understand that every action has a corresponding consequence, good or bad. There are good consequences. There are bad consequences. But every action has a corresponding consequence. This is the way God set up his economy, the economy of the world that we live in. So if they've got a science project due Monday morning and they were out playing all weekend long and didn't work on their science project, you as super parent don't stay up all Sunday night doing their science project for them because God forbid they fail a class. Let them feel the consequence. You're going to do more damaging because you're not going to be there at work when they're 30 and they got a report due. Sometimes it's important for them to feel the consequences. If they spend all their lunch money on video games, let them go without lunch for a day. I promise you they'll be okay. They can, they can miss one lunch a day. Let them feel that. The second type of undisciplined parent is what we call the etch-a-sketch parent. Etch-a-sketch parent, they're often inconsistent. Remember the old etch-a-sketch toys, you know, the little knobs, and you could draw on it, and then you shake it, and everything erases, and you could start all over well, we have a lot of parents that look like etch-a-sketches. The lines are always moving. They have rules, but the rules are different from day to day based on their emotions, based on what happened at work, based on a lot of different factors. Proverbs says, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom. So, we, so we've got we've to have some consistency to impart wisdom. But a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Discipline your children and they will give you peace they will bring you the delights you desire. Now, why is it so hard to parent, to be consistent? Well, the truth is it's tough because we get tired, we get lazy, and we're inherently selfish. That's the truth. We get home late from work one day, and we're exhausted, and it was a rough day at work, and we're stressed out, and we got a lot on our mind. The last thing we want to do is come home and parent the last thing on our mind. And so the rules will change based on whatever emotional state we're currently in. If we're exhausted and tired, the, the rule today is don't make any noise in the living room when I'm watching sports. Like, leave me alone. Get out. If I'm feeling good, the rule is we're going to have a free-for-all and, you know, WrestleMania going on in the living room with all the kids. I mean, it change, and, and the kids never know what. They don't know if I'm getting Nazi dad today or if I'm getting cruise directorship dad. I mean, they just don't know. I mean, it's, 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 they need consistency from us. And that takes us dealing with our selfishness. It takes us dealing with our laziness. It takes us dealing with, you know, whatever emotion state we're in to give our children the consistency they need. The third one is what we call split decision parents who are often ununified. Split decision, not on the same page. They, they, they're disagreeing about discipline, disagreeing about parenting. Amos says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? One of the most important things we can do for our children is be unified in front of them. They need to see unity. Because I don't know when they learn this class. I think they teach it in preschool. But at some point, children learn to play the parents against each other. Like, I don't, I don't know where your kid learned it. But, I, but I, I'm thinking it was sometime around preschool. They learn how to work mom and dad. Just, I mean, literally, just two days ago, I'm coming down the stairs. And Asher's sitting in the kitchen. And he's got this chocolate bar in his hand. He's like, Dad, can I have this chocolate bar? And I'm like, sure, have the chocolate bar. And then all of a sudden, I hear mom yelling from the living room, I just told you no. 
like five minutes ago. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I said a couple weeks ago, the most severe discipline in our home is for lying. Like that is like, you know, that is the ultimate. You lie, it's going to be painful. It's not going to be pleasant for you if you lie. Second most severe is playing mom and dad against each other. Like, we're not going to do that game. I, you know, I pulled him back in the room. I said, if, if mom tells you, you know, you don't, if you don't like the answer, you don't come to dad looking for a different answer. You do that, it's going to be just as bad as lying. You don't want that situation in our home. And so we got we to be unified. Now, let's talk about being in the real world. I know divorce complicates this a lot. And, and there's a lot of you that have gone through a season of divorce, and, and this really makes it a little more messy. Uh, and let me just say it like this. You, may, you and your ex-spouse may not like each other at all, but I'm telling you, for the sake of the children, find a way to work together to be unified. And if you're a single parent, I understand it complicates it, but you can still, you can still establish this in your home. Blended families, again, it makes it a little more complicated. There's, in a blended family, let me say it like this, there's no such thing as these are my kids, these are your kids. If you are married, biblically speaking, they are our kids. That's how it works. So be unified in front of each other. If you disagree, do it behind closed doors. Your spouse needs you to support him or her in these decisions. Josh McDowell told me a story a few years ago. Josh is the author of More Than a Carpenter. He said he had an eight-year-old daughter, or his daughter when she was eight years old, had a really bad habit of just sassing and disrespectful, rude, dishonoring her mother, just back-talking her constantly. And he came home early from work one day, and he heard his daughter doing it. And he pulled her to the side, and he sat her down. And he looked at his daughter, a little eight-year-old girl in the eye, and he said, Listen, you may talk to your mother that way, but you will not talk to my wife that way. And he said it stopped that day. And think about it, man. There, there, if, you, if you had a guy off the street talk to your wife the way some of your kids, you would knock him out, wouldn't you? You would never tolerate some guy off the street talking to your wife that way. Why would you tolerate a child talking to your wife that way? That is the girl you married. There needs to be unity. We've got to support one another for this to work. So let's talk about discipline. There's two types of correction when it comes to discipline. And what you need to understand about discipline is discipline often creates a painful situation for the child. Pain is a gift from God. Pain, God gave us a nervous system to determine pain to help us. Like you touch something sharp, you have a pain sensor that says don't push any harder. Pull your hand back. Why? Because if you keep pushing, you're going to damage your body. So pain is actually a tool. Pain is helpful. You touch a flame, you feel heat, you feel hot, you feel the flame, that is your nervous system. That is a gift from God to keep you from burning your hand off. Pain is a gift from God. And so sometimes when you create painful, or let me put it like this. Here, here's, here's the first type of correction. Parent-created circumstances. And this is often used when the children are much, much younger. One of the goals of parenting is we create painful circumstances for our children. We create painful and unpleasant situations for them, and we associate it to behavior. We associate it to actions. We let them know, 
when you do this behavior, this is the situation you're creating for yourself. And it's not pleasant. It doesn't feel good. And you should probably change that behavior and change those actions so that you don't keep experiencing these painful situations and circumstances in your life. And again, it's used more during the early years. I would encourage you, if, if you really want to go deeper in parenting, especially if you have children zero to five, I cannot encourage you enough to go through our parenting small group, the video curriculum that we have. Get a couple families together, watch the videos once a week for eight weeks. They're about 15 minutes apiece. A lot of the material for this series comes out of that parenting curriculum. One of the things it teaches in the curriculum is the season. Zero to five is the season where you have to be super, super, super strict as a parent. Nothing slides zero to five. And if you get that season right, it builds for the following season. And honestly, if you get zero to five right, you never have to, you almost never have to be strict or disciplined again if you get it right during the first season. So zero to five is the discipline season. Five to 10 is the training season. 10 to 15 is the coaching season. 15 and up is more of a mentoring season of life, and they build on each other. And so parent-created circumstances are more for the early years. Proverbs says a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. One of the keys to this is never associate their actions, their behavior with your feelings. One of the worst things I see parents do today is they say, well, when you do that, it really makes mommy sad. When you do that, it makes me feel bad. Like that doesn't, you know, when you, no, no, no. Never associate their behavior with your feelings. That's the worst thing you could do. You don't want them thinking they control your emotional state. You don't give them that control. You, you don't want them living for your approval because they're going to be out of the home one day. They've got to understand to live for themselves. So one of the things I do with my son when, when, when he's going to be disciplined or he, he's done something wrong, I never say, that makes me feel so bad. I say, buddy, I am so sorry. You're not going to like the way that makes you feel. It's not about how it makes me feel. It's how it's going to make him feel. He's the one that gets the painful situation created. So I'm just like, I'm so sorry. You're not going to like the way that makes you feel. And in fact, I also do this positively. So that's, that's kind of the negative version of it. I do it positive. If he does really good at school, if he gets like the gold star of the day or whatever, you know, award they get at class and he gets in the car, I never say, oh, man, that makes daddy so happy. I'm so proud. I, I never do. I'd say, wow, that's awesome. How does it make you feel? And he says, I feel good. I said, that's awesome. And I reinforce, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for your future. Again, I'm training his heart. So I don't want him living for my feelings. I want him living for his future and what God created him to do. So this is parent-created circumstances. The second type of discipline is what we call child-created consequences. Child-created consequences. And this is used more in the later years of their life. Allow the consequence to be the discipline. Again, Galatians 6 says you will always harvest what? you plant. Sometimes the most effective discipline is simply to allow the child to harvest what they planted. They planted something through their behavior, let them harvest it. Let them experience the consequence. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of consequences. Now, but what I don't like is I don't like lingering consequences. 
for example, I don't like grounding because I think it keeps the situation around too long. I like to ask the question, how would God treat me in this situation? Well, the thing about God, God doesn't leave us lingering in guilt. God doesn't leave us lingering in shame. He resolves it as soon as possible. So I try to create a consequence that can be resolved as soon as possible. So one of the keys is how, how does my child remedy the situation? If they broke something, they got to find a way to pay for it. So they can either sell some of their toys or they can get, you know, work some extra hours after school. They can find a way to remedy the situation. Now, as we close, let me give you some guidelines for discipline, some, some general guidelines. The two types of correction are basically uh, parent-created circumstances, child-created consequences. Some guidelines for discipline are, number one, assess the context of the situation. This is important. Assess the context of the situation. We don't, we don't treat everything the same because we have to assess the context. The Holy Spirit treats us this way. And, and again, this is one of the big reasons why having a relationship with God is critical to parenting because you need the Holy Spirit. You got to assess, was, was my child's action accidental or was it intentional? As the book of Proverbs put it, was it childishness or was it foolishness? Childishness is spilling milk at breakfast. I'm not going to discipline him for spilling milk at breakfast. That was an accident. That's child. That, in fact, that's why he still lives at home. I mean, if he, if he had the coordination to not do that, he would be out of the home by now. I mean, they're, they're children for a reason. So as parents, what we need is what Solomon prayed in 1 Kings. Solomon said, give your servant a discerning heart, a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. We govern our families. So we need a discerning heart so that we can assess the context of the situation. So some of the, the, the filter that I use for assessing context in our home is, first off, the frequency of the offense. Is this the first time my son's ever done this, or is, is this a regular pattern of his behavior? And often, if it's the very first time he's done something, then I'll use that as an opportunity to teach grace. I'll just say, hey, I know you should be disciplined for this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show you the way God treats dad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some grace you don't deserve right now so I can show you the way God treats us. Because, again, we're trying to teach them God's standard in our home. We're trying to teach him what God looks like. I look at the context of the moment. What created the situation? Were there other people involved? Was he provoked to do something by someone else. Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get away with it, but it helps me understand and assess the situation. It also gives me an opportunity to give him what we call the appeal process. He can, he can add additional information that may affect the outcome of the discipline. And so th this gives him some respect and honor where he can add some additional information. Uh, the child's age goes into the, to, to assessing the context of what's going on. Uh, discipline and types of discipline should change over the years as the child gets older. And then I look at the overall characterization of his behavior. Was this in character or out of character? Is this a trend in his behavior? Is this something he's dealing with often? Or is this kind of a, a one-time out of character thing? And so we, we assess the context of the situation. Number two, and this is a big one, we agree to never discipline in anger. We never, ever, ever, ever discipline 
our children in anger. If anger is involved, it's not discipline, it's punishment. Listen to me, if anger is involved, it's no longer discipline, it's now punishment. Because punishment is a reaction. Anger is a reaction. So oftentimes what I'll have to do before I administer discipline or before I even have the conversation, I'll, you go sit down, I'm going to go be alone for a few minutes, and I'll go and I'll sit in my room and I'll pray or I'll read the Bible or I'll, I'll do something to calm down so that whatever emotional reaction I'm having in that moment, I can dissipate and I can go out very calm, very collected, very cool, and I can deal with the situation in a very biblical and a very godly manner. Ephesians says, don't sin by letting anger control you. When you react, it is usually anger. So let's decide ahead of time how we're going to handle these situations because they're going to do things. Like our kids, they're not, we're not raising Jesus. They're not perfect. They're going to do things that are going to set us off. We shouldn't be surprised when it happens. We should just know that when it happens, we have a plan. Okay, I need to go calm down. I'm not going to react out of anger to the situation. Because I think most training that occurs in our home happens when emotions are high. It typically happens right after they've done something bad. Can I say the best talks to have to your children are not after they've done something bad. The best talks is when everything is going good, when, when things are peaceful, when you're driving down the road to ice cream. That's the best time to train their heart. The best time to have those heart-to-heart training moments, not just constantly correcting behavior, but again, training the heart. So one of the things I encourage is try to catch them doing right 10 times more than you catch them doing wrong. And I know it's easier to catch them doing something wrong because it's more obvious. You have to work as a parent to catch them doing something right. So I would make it a goal that at least once a day, you're going you're gonna to watch them intentionally, find them doing something right, and then pull them aside, sit them down, and have a talk. Say, hey, I just want you to know, I, I, I just noticed you doing this, and I saw you doing this, and I want to say, well done. That, that was a great job. That's how you handle situations like that, and I'm proud of you for handling. I'm telling you, you catch them doing right, they're going to do more right. Because sometimes they're doing wrong to get our attention, and if they find out that you're noticing when they do things right, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, it, it reinforces the right behavior. So remember, discipline is always motivated by love, never by anger. And then here's the third point before we close. We will discipline promptly, and here's the key, with instruction and reconciliation. Discipline always has a component of instruction and reconciliation. The goal of discipline is not just to inflict pain. It is always to restore the relationship. Paul says in Ephesians, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. We always couple discipline with instruction. Why? Because we're focused on their future. See, punishment is simply focused on their past. Discipline is focused on their future. So you can't discipline if there's not a component of instruction involved. So how do we do this? Well, what we do in our home, and again, you can you know, figure out what's best for you, but what we do is I help my son understand what he did was wrong. He has to admit his sin before discipline and reconciliation can occur. He's got to understand that what he did was wrong, what he did was sin, and there are consequences. Now, we never, ever, ever, ever 
tell, tell our children you're bad or you're stupid. I hear way too many parents saying, you're bad, you're bad. Don't, don't be bad, you're bad. No, they're not bad. They're created in the image of God. Bad is about who they are, not what they did. We can, create, we can correct bad behavior and bad actions, but we never criticize who they are as people. That's why we never tell a child, you're bad. We never tell a child, you're stupid. We simply say, that was a bad move. That was a bad action. That, that's bad behavior. We don't accept or tolerate that behavior. That's not like you. That, that's not who you are. That was an action you committed, but that's not who you are. So I just want to help you understand that. So first, they have to own their sin. They've got to take responsibility for their choice, for their actions, for their behavior. The second is the instruction part. We sit down and we talk about, now what can you do differently next time? Because you're going to find yourself in a situation like this again. You're going to find yourself, you know, feeling angry, feeling mad, and wanting to react like this. How can you handle it differently next time? There needs to be instruction. Without instruction, it's just punishment. And then finally, we explain reconciliation. Look, what you did was wrong. What you did was sin. This is the discipline. But now you are forgiven. And we always teach our son to ask for forgiveness. One of the things we don't do, and again, I hear a lot of parents doing this, and I, I would highly caution you from doing this, is we, we tell our, like, they do something wrong in a playground, or their brother and sister are fighting, and then we, we, we oftentimes say this, go tell your brother you're sorry. And then they walk over and say, I'm so sorry. Please don't do that to your child. They're not sorry. They're, again, they're created in the image of God. That, that is about who they are. When they say, I am sorry, they're describing who they are. You don't want a child saying that about themselves. Because they're not sorry. They're awesome. They're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You want them to feel godly sorrow, but that's different than saying, I am sorry. And, and saying, I'm sorry, falls short anyways. It doesn't lead to reconciliation. So what we do with our son is, instead of saying, I'm sorry, we, you know, if he you know, knocks somebody over at the playground... I said, go tell him you're wrong and ask him to forgive you. And so he walks over, he says, look, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm wrong for what I did. Will you forgive me? Because that restores the relationship. Once you ask somebody for forgiveness, then they got a choice to say yes or no. And when they say yes, the relationship is restored. The balance is back at zero. It is reconciled. So what we do with our son is we sit him down and help him understand what he did and let him admit what he did. We give him some instruction on what he can do differently. We give him the discipline, whatever the discipline was. And then our son looks at us and says, will you forgive me? And we say, you are forgiven. And then we hug and we pray. And sometimes we'll take him out for ice cream and we won't bring it up again. Why? Because the balance is now zero. That's the way God treats us. When God forgives us, the Bible says he forgets it. He chooses to forget it. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. So when my son says, will you forgive me? And we've gone through the process of, of him understanding what he did, him admitting it was sin, him you know, understanding the correction and the instruction, receiving the discipline. Then when he says, will you forgive me? It's forgiven. It's reconciled. The balance is zero. We move on. We don't bring it up again because we're trying to model to him how God treats us and i'll even go to him when i blow it as a parent and see what i love again 
being a Christian parent, you're not always going to get it right. I fall short so often as a parent. And so there are times I got to go to my son and say, you know what, daddy just blew it. When I yelled at you and, and I, I kind of lost control emotionally, that was the wrong way. That was sin. I should not have acted like that. Will you forgive me? I don't know how many times I've done that with my son. And what it's done is it showed him that if daddy can ask for forgiveness, I can ask for forgiveness. I'm modeling to him the behavior that I want to see. I'm teaching him God's divine economy to help him understand. Paul did this in Corinthians. Paul had to discipline the church of Corinth. He sent them a very difficult, challenging letter, a letter of discipline. And Paul says about it in 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm glad that I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent. Again, Paul created a painful circumstance for this young church. But he didn't hurt them because it wasn't punishment, it was discipline. But because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. Again, it was all about correcting future behavior. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So we want our children to have godly sorrow when they fail. But again, we don't want them to say, I am sorry, because that's not who they are. But they can feel real sorrow. So you are not harmed by us anyway, again, because it wasn't punishment, it was discipline. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. That's the goal of discipline. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow or punishment, which lacks repentance, there's no instruction to it, there's no reconciliation to it, results in spiritual death. That's what you get when people live with shame and live with guilt and live with that condemnation. And again, I know that messages like this, it's very easy to feel like, why couldn't you told me this 10 years ago? It would have saved a lot of headache if I would have known this when my child was two. I get it. I, I feel the same way. There's a lot of regret I have as a parent. There's a lot of things I wish I could have done differently. I want to remind you, we are not here to condemn your past. We are not here to judge your past. We're here to fight for your future. And there is reconciliation available. And the word reconcile simply means to bring the account balance to zero. It's an accounting term. You reconcile the balance. And that's what God wants to do for you. God wants to just reconcile the balance. When we come to God and say, God, I've made some mistakes. I've sinned. I've blown it in some areas. Will you forgive me? The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from it. Meaning he reconciles you. He brings your account balance to zero so that every time you pray, God's not holding anything against you. God disciplines, but he doesn't punish. He doesn't hold your past against you. He doesn't bring it up. He forgives you. He reconciles. He brings it to zero. That's what we want to model for our children. Because that's what God has modeled for us. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? If you're here today and you would say, you know what? I need to be reconciled to God this morning. I feel like there's, there's things in my life, there's things in my past that have separated me from God. I don't feel close to God the way I should feel. I feel like there's, there's just this, this sin in my life. And sin is simply to miss the mark. The definition of the word sin is to miss the mark. There's areas in your life where you've missed it. 
And as a result, you, you feel that God is distant from you. Well, you need to receive reconciliation today. You need to allow God to bring your balance to zero so that there is nothing between you and him. Where you can pray freely, you can talk to him freely, you can be close to him. Because there's nothing between the two of you. He's not holding your past against you. He's holding nothing against you because you have been reconciled. For some of you, it could be the very first time you've ever asked for that. It's really what it means to become a Christian. To begin a relationship with God. For some of you, you need to renew your commitment to God. Because you've, you've, you've allowed distance to be created. For many reasons, but you've allowed distance to be created. And today is the day to close the gap. Today is the day to allow God to bring your account balance to zero so there's nothing between you and him. There's nothing hindering your relationship. But there's just this open channel between you and God because it is forgiven, it is reconciled. So if that describes you, I'd like to, to lead you in a very simple prayer. As we close, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't even have to pray this out loud. This is just a moment between you and God. You can pray this right out of your heart today. But if that would describe you, and you'd like to pray with me as we close, with every eye closed out of respect, just so I know who's praying with me, would you very quickly just raise your hand and then put it right back down? Right now, raise it, put it right back down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Here's the prayer. Just pray this to God out of your heart. Say, God, today I give you my life. And I ask that you take complete control. Will you forgive me of the sin of my past? Thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you that as soon as I asked, I was forgiven. My balance is zero. There is nothing you are holding against me. You will never bring up my past. I am forgiven. And I can now have a relationship with you with nothing standing between us. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that prayed that with me, I want to encourage you to take one more step today, something you do on your own. On the connection card in your worship guide, there's two boxes. One says, I'm committing my life to Christ. One says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. When you prayed with me, that prayer reflects one of those decisions. I'd love to personally know about it so that I can pray for you by name this week. And then what we'd also like to do is send you an email. We won't get anything else from us but an email unless you specifically ask for more. All you'll receive is an email, and the email just gives you some next steps. You're beginning a spiritual journey today, and that journey has some very obvious next steps, and we just want to make it clear for you. So we'll send you that email this week. You can, again, drop this off any of our tithe and offering boxes, give it to any of our leaders today. Would you stand with me before we close? Let me pray over all of our parents, future parents, and, and then those of us that have just had a a warped view of God because we looked at God as a punisher and we didn't understand that discipline was motivated by love and we had bad experiences as children that turned us off. Praying that we can just see God clearly and that we can model him in our families. Father, we thank you today 
And we praise you that you don't punish us because you're mad at us. You discipline us because you love us. And the only reason you discipline God is because you want to protect our future. You don't want us harming ourselves. But you want to maximize our life so that we can live it to the full. And you do that because you're love. And so, God, let us model that to our families. Let us model that to our children. Let us model that to our friends. Thank you, Lord. In your name we